Welcome back to HR Coffee Time. It's wonderful to have you here. I'm your host, Faye Wallace, a career coach and outplacement specialist with a background in HR. And I make this podcast especially for you every week to help you have a successful and fulfilling HR career without working yourself into the ground. And this week, we're going to be focusing on a topic that I personally find quite difficult. I don't know what your experience of it is. Perhaps you're a lot more confident with this than I am because I worry a lot about doing or saying the wrong thing and just being unsure what the best thing is to do. And this topic is bereavement. Because this is definitely not one of my areas of expertise or strength, I've invited a fantastic specialist onto the show to help us with it today. She is called Michelle Smith, and she's going to share a wealth of expertise and advice with us. Because bereavement, unfortunately, is a fact of life. At some point in our lives, we're all going to lose people who mean a lot to us. And of course, that happens in the workplace as well. So in your HR career, you may find yourself having to support a colleague who has a loved one who passes away. And of course, there are also going to be times when one of your colleagues pass away. And in your role as an HR professional, a lot of the time, the organisation you work for is going to be looking to you to lead the way. Let's move on with the episode to meet Michelle and hear what she has to say about this really important topic. I hope that you're going to find it helpful. Michelle, it's fantastic to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Lovely. Thank you so much for having me here. It's great to join you. You are very welcome. And before we launch into the main part of our time together today, it would be wonderful if you could just introduce yourself and explain a little bit about your background and the work that you do. I will, yeah. So uh, Michelle Smith and about a year ago, I set up Empower Workplace Solutions. It's been an idea that's been bubbling around for a good few years. My background is in specialist palliative care. So I've spent 25 years progressing through different nursing roles. So started off as a very junior nurse, then through towards sister. When I was in my second year of training, there was a really awful experience for for one of the patients I looked after. He'd come in with abdominal pain. So everyone thought that he just had something very routine, diverticulitis, appendicitis. But by the end of that day, he had been told that he had an incurable cancer, six weeks left to live. The consultant just walked to the end of his bed, filtered that out and left him. So I was a very junior, second year student, but that kind of swayed everything for me. And I knew I wanted to work in an area where you you can't change the outcome for people, but you can make it as good as it can be. So I progressed through through palliative care, different roles in hospices and large third sector organisations. But for all of that time, patients, when they were well enough to work, but families throughout and beyond the death always said that they didn't feel well supported in the workplace. So we got to the pandemic. I was working on the front line, leading some clinical teams in, in the hospice and just having to facilitate those video goodbyes or take families around to the back of the building to say goodbye through a window I just was reflecting back and thinking, you know, if if we weren't getting it right in the workplace before, we have even less chance given the complexities of grief that that COVID has presented us with. So I set up the business and my aim is that people will be well supported through their journey, whether they have a terminal illness themselves or, or they've got somebody they love, sudden death as well. So just making sure that 
you don't just have to be connected to a hospice to receive good support in that situation. Oh, it's so awful to think of people having to say goodbye through a window. There are a few things that you, you become quite resilient. Obviously, if you work in that area, you, always you are you are touched by what you see. But there are a few things that in the end you kind of really dwell on because you get the support to be able to debrief. But yeah, certainly, you know, young children saying goodbye to their parent and not being able to say goodbye. Likewise, people who have been married for 60 plus years having to say goodbye. But, you know, the person in the room is very likely so they don't get that goodbye. And that's where the complexities have now come from in terms of, of bereavement support and people having difficulty accessing that but it has quite a ripple effect in terms of how we then manage with with all areas of our lives. I hadn't even considered that Michelle actually the impact that all the restrictions that were put in place in the pandemic that would have had on people today so people who we might be working alongside will have been through that horrible experience. When we first started talking to each other I was just very much thinking that bereavement is a topic that traditionally within the UK I don't think we're great at talking about I know it's something that I find quite difficult to talk about and I worry about saying the wrong thing and doing the wrong thing but it's such an important thing for us to be able to support people with whether they're facing the end of their own life their own mortality or actually someone very close to them is going to be passing away see I don't even know if I get the language right I end up you know I don't like even using the word die I find myself saying other things and I know when you and I chatted about it you said well this is the perfect example of why it is important to raise awareness about this and talk about it because if it's something that I'm finding difficult I'm sure I'm not the only one that actually is a reflection that lots of us find this a, a difficult topic. Exactly and it, in terms of the language you just use the language that feels right for you so you can see a lot that's written around you know don't say passed over or you've lost and of course, there are certain circumstances when you think about things like neurodivergency, perhaps, or people with dementia, then of course, you have to be a bit more mindful. But the main thing to do is to use language that you're comfortable with. And actually, if for you, that's passed away, that's fine. If it's that they've died, then, you know, that there's no right or wrong. You just have to do what, what sits right with you, because you're right. It's a really taboo topic. It shouldn't be but it is. And when we think about, you know, one in eight people in the last two years have experienced at least one bereavement, at least one bereavement in the last two years. So when you think about the knock-on effect of that on our workforce, and if people, if their minds are somewhere else, how safe are they to climb up and be a roofer? How safe are they to, to manage a multi-million pound transaction on a computer? We have to make sure that our workforce feels supported, that they've got a safe space to talk about. And EAPs, they have an amazing place. I, I don't dismiss the importance of them. I don't dismiss the work that they do. But equally, we need to make sure that there's that human response in the workplace when it's needed as well. As HR, as a whole function and as the people within it, we're the ones who are turned to as role models and for guidance and for support. So I'm just really grateful that you're here today and you're going to give us some brilliant pointers on a way forward and what we can be doing and how we can be getting this right. Now, you have created a checklist 
which I will put in a link in the show notes for everybody. So if you're listening to this and want to have more information, more resources, I would definitely recommend taking a look at the checklist. And this is 10 key considerations for supporting your bereaved workforce that Michelle has put together for you. Now, as there are 10 things on there, that's probably a little bit too much for us to cover in depth in this one podcast episode. So instead, Michelle, can I just ask you to share with us what you think the absolute most important points are out of those 10? Gosh, I mean, most important is really tough. I think they're all equally important. But what I would say is there are some that perhaps we do not give very much consideration to in in the workplace. So how many of us could go to our EDI policies today and how many of us would then find any reference to loss and grief within that policy? It's going to be very rare. You know, it'd be really interesting to find out if any of the listeners have got it in there already before listening to this episode. It'd be great if they would let you know, because I would be really interested. But not long ago, I supported a man who was a middle manager and his parents were were both fit and well. But one of those parents was taken very unexpectedly unwell in the working morning. Phone call from the family. And actually, he went to tell his manager what had happened. He wasn't given permission to leave until he tied up his work and made sure that his team had had a full handover. Meanwhile, the parent was deteriorating all the time. Now, the missing piece of information in this story is that within this gentleman's culture, he has an expected role that he will lead the family in supporting as someone approaches the end of life and also lead in in sort of ceremonial activities as soon as the person's died. He explained this to his manager, but they stuck with what they wanted him to do. Family were constantly on the phone saying, you need to get here, you need to get here. He already knew that his parent wasn't going to make it. He missed the death. His parent had died by the time he got there. And because the parent had died in the acute setting, he also wasn't able to do those kind of the after-death rituals because the hospital rightly had to move things forward. So someone else had to step in and take care of that for him. You think about the impact that that had, that's bad enough already, but this guy was then given disciplinary because when he went back to work, his manager sort of told him that he should have told his, he left work without telling his team what was going on. So he was given a disciplinary for not carrying out his manager's instructions. He then lost his temper because he'd been contacted continually through that two-week period. It just was a roller coaster of, well, I'm not even a roller coaster, a spiral of what you shouldn't do in those situations. But he left. And because of the treatment he received, four of his team left as well. So that's just one example. If we don't give inclusion considerations to loss and grief, if we don't think about that, that one company, only an SME, lost five members of staff. And this guy had been there for over 20 years. So when you think about that from a cost perspective, in terms of training somebody, the recruitment costs, the cover, when you think about all of that, that is a very costly exercise. And actually, if the manager had been trained, so we, we could easily blame the manager, but he hadn't been given any training in how to respond. So if that manager had been given training, how different would that outcome have been and how much money would that that organisation have, have saved? So I think definitely inclusion considerations have to be right up there because it's just not on anyone's radar. 
No, absolutely. I can well imagine that's not on everyone's radar, the fact that there can be these completely different expectations that you may not be aware of. So have you actually seen EDI policies or initiatives where this has been woven in? No, no. I have yet to, to find a company that does have it. So that's why I sort of really kind of emphasise the point of this, because all it would mean is, you know, just be aware of the different cultural aspects around end of life care and what happens when someone dies. You don't have to write war and peace on it, but just be aware so that if something happens like that in your organisation, your manager has got the empathy to be able to turn around and you know, and, and say things like, you know, I don't necessarily understand what that's like, but I do accept that you've got cultural rituals that you need to, to observe that are important for you. The feedback that you're going to get from that experience is going to be so much more positive than, than the, the outcome that I've just shared with you. Absolutely. You're making me think, Michelle, actually, I have an HR planner that I put together, which has got all different components to it, but it's to help anyone who works within HR and the people profession really think about what they want to achieve for the year, how they want to have as big an impact as possible at work, what kind of initiatives and projects they want to work on. And within there, to help them think of that, I have got an employee life cycle mapped out. There are two different ways of looking at it. For people who are visual, you can actually see a pathway and of having the person who works within the organisation, what the key touch points are within their life where there may need to be support or considerations or policies or training or all sorts of things and I haven't got anything referenced on there at the moment about the cultural considerations around bereavement so I promise (laughs) I'm actually working on the next draft of it for 2023 I promise you I'll put something in there I think it's something that yes lots of us haven't been thinking about hasn't been on our radar and I can see that's going to be invaluable but you'll be one of the first so totally groundbreaking (laughs) 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 wonderful well thank you so much for sharing that first point and I know I had said to you what's the most important thing for us to be aware of what would the next thing be that you really think we should be aware of that you would like to tell us about today I think in terms of where we are as manager and understanding our boundaries that's got to be really important um, we need to understand where normal emotional support should stop and where specialist support would come in I think very often people are sharing something that is emotive or anything sensitive then as humans we've kind of got like some inbuilt response that makes us want to fix it for people Nurses, absolutely horrifically bad for this. I'm one of the worst. I think, you know, if someone tells me something, I want to make it okay for them. When you've got an empathetic approach to your management, then actually you'll just find that you need to go as far as somebody would expect you to go. And that's just understanding that you're giving them the time to talk about how they're feeling. You are making sure that you've got an open door policy making sure of things such as are you actually the right person to even be having this conversation because if it's somebody who's just lost a parent and you're three months from losing your parent or have you just disciplined this member of staff and it wasn't a particularly great process then actually there are reasons you should not be the person that that guides this and it's okay to say that So you can tell your employee that actually for them to get the best out of this experience and for them to be the most supported that they can be, you identify a different person and and I might say that actually 
they would be better off supporting you throughout these coming months. So whilst I will retain my line management responsibility for you, just know that phase door is open. She's there to listen to you. She's there to support you. Um, and also just explain why you think that that's happened. Because if they just think it's because you don't know what to say, that creates a natural barrier. Whereas if you would say something like, you know, I've just recently lost a parent myself and I think I might therefore not be the best person to guide you. If they understand why, they'll get a better experience for it. So we'll know if we're crossing the line because you'll start taking those out of hours calls. You'll start automatically checking in on the person when you don't necessarily need to check in on them. Those are your kind of warning signs to think, whoa, I'm, I'm now turning into the fixer. If the person is constantly seeking you for support if they're constantly asking questions or if you've noticed they just kind of want your attention a lot more than you think would be normal in those situations then that's the point to think about you know signposting back to EAP if it's in place or making sure that they go back and they talk to their GP or they find online support to be a skilled signposter is a great management talent and it's, it's a skill that we should all own just knowing where we stop and where we signpost is it's essential in good management. Yeah, and that's one of the things that gets covered really well in mental health first aider training, I think, because through my outplacement work, when supporting people who are facing redundancy, sometimes, you know, for some people, the news is absolutely devastating. It's a huge loss for them. So although it's not a, a bereavement as far as the death is concerned, it is still a significant loss. And I remember the first time that I was supporting someone who was just almost inconsolable, probably those boundaries not being in place, like, you know, saying, call me at any time that you need to talk and really, really worrying about them. And I think the mental health first aider training helped me to realise actually, no, you've got to have those boundaries in place and signposting is often the best thing that you can do. So I suppose it's exactly the same in this instance, just remembering actually what is going to be helpful for both of you probably isn't you obsessively worrying about them and <laughs> and calling them all the time or accepting calls from them all of the time as well. But there actually are other resources and people you can signpost them onto. It is a delicate balance. You want your employee to feel supported, but at the same time, you've got to maintain that, that professional boundary. But the outcome is that they will respect you, your trust will still be maintained, but actually they'll know that they can come to you with anything and for future discussions, they'll be quite clear in, in what that structure looks like and they'll have confidence that you can manage this really effectively. If you come across as confident and you know where to step in and where to step out, that the confidence that you convey just allows that person to trust you so much more. And that's where the kind of like the link to loss bereavement and staff satisfaction and retention really comes in people don't think about it but it's definitely there so we've got well lots of things there but to summarize them slightly there is the inclusion piece and making sure that you're aware of any specific needs or requirements from a cultural perspective that the person needs or would like to have and then also about not overstepping boundaries and having clear support in place and knowing what that's going to be and whether you're the right person or someone else is. But if we could just then go a little bit deeper into it, it would be really helpful as in, okay, so 
we've got the boundaries in place, we've got the right person talking to them, what is it that they're going to be able to do that is going to be helpful? How do they approach conversations with them? What what kind of support apart from signposting can they be doing? I think that the first thing, the first and foremost thing is to get that initial response right. And everyone will have seen a quote around, um, I won't get the, the wording exactly right, I never do, but people won't remember what you said, but they will always remember how you made them feel. And that's really key. You know, if you get a knock on your door or an email pop up that says, have you got five minutes? The answer is always yes. It doesn't matter what you're doing. The answer is always yes. Because you don't know if that person's been sitting on the news, you know, all weekend that they've got a brain tumour, for example. They've got motor neurone disease. Again, not long ago, I, I spoke to somebody who was, was a line manager they presumed that they had a member of staff who had a drinking problem because they'd noticed he was tripping over a little bit, he was stumbling, his speech was slurred, but they didn't know how to handle that conversation. But actually what was going on was a diagnosis behind the scenes of motor neurone disease for this young employee. When he got his diagnosis, it was a Friday, late on a Friday, so he had to sit on that all weekend. He then had to go to his manager early on the the Monday morning Now, I can't begin to imagine what the anxiety must feel like if you've got to break news like that to your manager. In this case, the manager did really well. He stopped what he was doing. He sat down, he listened and shared actually what he had been thinking was going on. So they had a really great dialogue around that. But imagine if you dismissed that person. Imagine if you said, no, I've got to go to a meeting. Can we catch up later? You know, the moment's gone and the anxiety increases. So you establish trust at the moment you say yes. So whatever you've got going on, always when you get that initial, have you got five minutes? It's always yes. And it might be that they just want to take an extra day's annual leave. And I'm really sorry that you might be late to your meeting. But if it is something bigger, they will never forget that you stopped and you made the time for them. And that's where that first part of trust, as I've said, is, is established. So the first response is incredibly important. But then just agreeing and setting your kind of your communication principles, you know, how often are you going to check in with, with each other? What does that look like? In the workplace, it's you know, especially important to understand who already knows. As a line manager, you are really, or an HR professional, you're very unlikely to be the first person that's told. So by understanding who already knows, if there's some kind of miscommunication along the way, you need to hold that trust with your staff member. So by knowing that, I don't know, Bob, Pete and Sue already knew, you might be able to track back that actually it was Sue that spilled the beans and now half of half of the office floor know. So then a delicate conversation is needed to be held with, with Sue, but it can be managed more effectively. The important thing is, again, we maintain trust. So you can see here that there's quite a clear theme in terms of supporting staff through bereavement. Trust is absolutely vital. Understanding how communication it is going to look being brave enough if you don't know what to say be brave enough to say that because actually when we do that you get to a place where the person will either shut you down quite quickly um so i might say you know Faye, i just don't know what to say I, you know i've heard your news i don't know what to say you'll either say thanks for sharing that michelle and you'll shut me down and you'll walk away but you'll know that i've made an attempt you might just not be ready to go there with that conversation Likewise, you might say, I know it's difficult to know, but I'm really glad that, that you've come to me. 
I just don't know where you know where to begin I feel so lonely you then opened up the conversation and you're saying that you want me to to go there with you so if you just say I don't know what to say you open up and you place the other person in the position of leading the conversation so that's true empathy you're asking them if you can walk alongside them what what is it like to be you what is it like to walk in your shoes if I say to you I'm sorry to hear about your news that's more sympathetic and it kind of creates a hierarchy there's a lot written around it I'm, I'm sure a lot of your listeners will already be aware but with sympathy and if I say those words again I'm sorry to hear what's happened to you I'm telling you how I feel about what's happened to you we're not trying to but it comes from a place of pity whereas we sort of flip that around and use an empathetic approach again we go back to building trust because we're sharing that we really want to understand what it's like to be that person what can we do to help them and it, it just puts things in a, in a really different ballpark and allows a, a much stronger relationship and a much more positive workplace experience for that member of staff so to make sure that we're getting the empathy rather than sympathy approach in place there's if you don't know what to say there is the saying as you've just said I don't know what to say or I don't know how best to support you what what are some other things that you could be saying that show that you're being empathetic rather than accidentally behaving in a way that shows pity rather than empathy so things like that must be difficult for you how are you feeling how are you coping all of those things are kind of like they're open conversations but they also allow the person to either shut the conversation down if they're not comfortable to to go further or they allow the conversation to go in any direction that the person wants it to so looking at your open questions and just ask what can I do to help because again you're putting the lead in their hands so and again they might say I'm okay thank you but I really appreciate you you saying that or they might say I really can't cope with the childcare. you know I, I just can't balance being at work and leaving at three and I just don't know how I'm coping well you might just find that actually there might be some peer support group in place that between them they might be able to to manage things just slightly different or you might be able to give that person confidence to develop conversations in their social network you know what we do in work always has a, a cascade and a ripple effect on what happens outside of work. So if we can help to give our, our staff the courage, the confidence to have those conversations and say what they're struggling with, it'll have a massively positive impact for them. Well, thank you, Michelle. I think that's invaluable advice for everyone who's listening. And as you were talking, it was making me think this is so helpful for when you're having those one-to-one conversations. But I know that as part of our time together today, I had hoped we could also focus on if one of your colleagues passes away, the impact on everyone around them, including yourself, of course. What advice or thoughts you have for anyone listening today as to how they then go about approaching that situation? So again, it's about opening up conversation. Be brave to open that conversation up. You can do really simple things like if you have an intranet structure, you can leave a message board where people can just post their own messages where they can share memories or or they can write a message to the person who's, who's not there anymore. So there are different ways that you can, as an organisation, honour honor that loss. 
but also you know you, you can do things like have peer support groups which are a really cost effective but strong way of managing bereavement in the workplace and as long as your peer support leads are supervised in the same way that a mental health first aider would be then actually you've got a really safe structure for opening up conversation for someone to drop in and talk about how it is affecting them and what they miss for the manager in that situation for the HR person they're going to have sort of different pressures coming at them in terms of productivity and the team are likely to be performing less well initially because they're dealing with the shock of what's happened they might have an increased workload because that person has either been away for a little while before they died or they have you know if they die suddenly there's still going to be a gap in the team so as well as dealing with the emotions of the bereavement there's also a different pressure that different people within the team in different roles will have to absorb so there are different things available and some organizations i work with do like a, a debrief day so they'll have one day where there are drop-in sessions for staff to just come in talk about how it is but there are also simple things you can do you know We'll fast track now. I know it's the hottest day of the year, but let's go to Christmas now. And when everyone else is thinking about office parties and Christmas jumper day and secret Santa, what about those who are bereaved in the workplace and whether that's a colleague or whether that's a member of the family? Do something simple like put a tree up in your office or again, you can do a virtual tree if, if um, you're a home based company. But people can hang messages on that tree. What it does is show that you recognise that Christmas isn't an easy time for some people. So it doesn't mean don't have a Christmas party. But at the same time, balance that with recognising that whether someone has been bereaved in the last week, in the last month, in the last year, in the last decade, grief is something that will impact us for the rest of our lives. And if we can support our workforce through that, actually the results that will reap in terms of retention and satisfaction are enormous. Well it's just brilliant to hear of all these really practical little simple but very impactful things that we could be doing. Thank you so much for sharing those with us Michelle and I know there's a whole range of ways that you offer support to organisations. Did you want to just quickly tell us a little bit about some of the services that you offer? Yeah thank you. So I've got a range of, of workshops. They go from training the line manager and HR teams from literally that initial response right the way through to the end of support, what to do when someone in the workforce dies, how to manage that. Then there's one-to-one coaching for people who just want to develop their skills. There are bespoke workshops. So the majority of my work, to be fair, is, is designed with the organisation I'm working for so that they've got a, a, a service that suits them. I've also got workplace champions, so they work in a really similar way to mental health first aiders. So organisations can have a membership where each month someone will, uh, a member of their workforce will get additional training, sort of train the trainer model essentially. So there's always someone in the workplace that your workforce can go to to get expert advice, just support colleagues. So there's more information on the website as well. Well, that leads me on to the next question, which was for anyone who's been listening and would like to get in touch with you or learn in more detail about your services, what's the best way of them doing that? So I'm guessing one of the things is going to be to go to your website, which I will put a link to in the show notes. But I know you're also very active on LinkedIn, aren't you? I try to be, yes. So yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. That tends to be sort of the the most active place in terms of social media for me and the, the one where I'll engage the most as well. So 
People can also directly email me, michelle at empowerworkplacesolutions.co.uk and you can telephone on 077-11-953-733. Brilliant. And I'm going to wrap up our time together today by asking you the one question that I ask every guest who comes on the show, which is what is your non-fiction book recommendation for us? So the book I really love is Indistractable by Near Isle. I don't know if, if you've heard of it or not. It's how to control your attention and choose your life. I am the human version of Dory out of Nemo. <laughs> I'm awful. So I will be distracted in the blink of an eye when something new and shiny comes along, I'm gone. Or if my phone's sitting there, I'll, I'll pick it up. And it, it's a brilliant guide in terms of how you can sort of follow this four-step process to completely control how you respond to distraction. So you take control of it. And, you know, there are brilliant things in there like surf the urge. So I'm really bad at if, if I don't want to do quote for a client or if I don't want to do my account, I will very easily pick up TikTok and then five minutes will turn into half an hour. Awful. So um, you kind of give yourself this 10 minute window. And if that urge is still there, then you have permission to pick up your phone but actually that the sort of principle behind it is that you would have ridden the wave the the urge will have peaked and you've probably gone past it so you don't need to pick up the phone it just takes a deeper dive into the psychology and there's also a, a like a workbook that accompanies it that you can get free from the the website which is brilliant just sort of just really allows you to understand what's important to you and, and how you can take control but yeah brilliant stuff in there on removing distractions or controlling distractions in the workplace and emails and I, I love it oh well thank you so much Michelle it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today thank you very much before I say goodbye for today let's just have a very quick reminder of some of the key points that Michelle covered because I know that is a lot that she has shared today and I don't want you to forget any of it Everything she talked about can be found in her document, which is called 10 Key Considerations for Supporting Your Bereaved Workforce. And she's very kindly shared that with us all. So I have put a link to that document in the show notes so that you can go and take a look at it and take a bit of time to digest it all whenever you want to. But getting back to the point of what she covered in detail, some of the tips were to make sure that we have bereavement policies that are inclusive and take different religious and cultural practices into consideration. She also talked about making time for the people we work with when they ask to speak to us in case they've got difficult news to share and they've been building themselves up to share it with us. Of course, she also talked about the importance of having boundaries in place of agreeing communication principles. So how and when you'll be checking in with a bereaved colleague and how to share any news about their bereavement if they want us to. She also talked about being empathetic instead of sympathetic. And I know that I'm going to put some of Michelle's ideas around this into practice straight away. I've realized I often say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that when someone shares difficult news with me, but I'm going to try to find a better way of responding from now on. And I thought her tip on using open questions to help us get this right was excellent. And finally, she also shared some brilliant practical strategies for supporting everyone in the workplace if a colleague dies, including setting up an online message board, creating peer support groups, and putting up a message tree at Christmas. 
So that brings us to the end of today's episode. I really hope that you found it helpful and got a lot from it. If you have found it interesting and useful and you've been enjoying the podcast generally, please do share it with a friend or rate and review the show in Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you do review it, please do let me know so I can say thank you.